Hello, I'm Skosha Monkovich. Welcome back for another episode of Creative Responders in Conversation, our monthly interview series where we hear from people on the front lines of the arts and disaster management sectors as they prepare, respond and recover from disaster. Today's guest is Kate Sullen. Kate is a performance maker, director, dramaturg and facilitator. She is the founding artistic director of Raucus, an award-winning theatre company based in Melbourne, comprised of a radically diverse ensemble of 15 performers. She is also one of the artists working on the five-year refuge project at Arts House, which brings together disaster management, artists, the community and local regional and international partners. Through her work with Refuge, Kate has developed a productive working partnership with the Red Cross, relating to their workshops around emergency preparedness for young people. I've known Kate for many years now, and I feel like her work is the perfect embodiment of what we mean when we talk about a creative responder. We cover a lot in this conversation, and I particularly enjoyed hearing Kate's thoughts on how energising it is to work with young people her observations on what arts-based thinking can bring to other sectors, and I also loved having the chance to talk about her wonderful Cubby House installation project, which was part of the first year of Refuge, and is such a powerful example of how the intersection of creativity, young people, and the disaster management space can come together to produce insightful exchange and a real sense of delight. I hope you enjoy this conversation with creative responder Kate Sullen. Uh, welcome, Kate. I'm uh, here in Jagera Tourable Country in Brisbane, Queensland. Where are you today? Um, I'm on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne, and um, I was just wanted to say that I've particularly been taking a lot of nourishment. I live just uh, up the road from the Mary Creek, and it's been a really amazing place to be at this time. Very special place. Oh, beautiful. We've just had rain here, which has been long awaited. Have you had any flushes through the creek there? We have. Uh, one of the things that's been great during this time of lockdown is is just watching the, the creek swell and contract during this time. And um, But at the moment, it's a beautiful sunny day here and the creek's quite low. Kate, I met you in a more direct way, I think, through the Refuge Project, which we'll come to a little later on in this conversation. But I've known of your work for a long time. But I thought we might start to introduce our audience to you by asking you a little bit about your background and what your journey has been, your history as an artist. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a theatre director and a performance maker and facilitator. And I, I have a all the projects that I work on or make, I make collaboratively. I have a really collaborative process with whoever I'm making with. They're always co-authors and co-makers of the work. And um, in particular, I'm the artistic director of Raucus and have been for 20 years now. Um, and it's a company of performers with and without disabilities. And we create um, and devise work that comes from the hearts and the minds and the imaginations and the bodies of these 15 diverse performers and now and I also do other projects and um, I came to the refuge project as an artist who didn't have a, a big history of working in this 
space. Um, many of the other artists of the Res- Refuge Project have long practice of working um creating art around climate crisis Um, but that was quite new for me and um, my experience of working on refuge has really changed my practice and the way I think about things so it's been a really great project to be involved in for the last five years. Well before we talk about refuge can you tell me a little bit more about your uh, role in Raucous, I mean Raucous for people in Victoria is a pretty well known and loved company but uh, probably many of our uh, friends listening wouldn't know much about the the material that you create. Can you tell us a little bit sure. about your journey in that very long um, relationship we've had? Yeah. So, so Rockers is a long-term ensemble. So it's an ensemble of 15 artists and um, it's a group of very diverse artists who some identify as having a disability and some of the artists in the company don't. We have a range of type of different disabilities in the company um and as i said yeah it's 15 performers and uh we work with a core design team and what's been amazing it's really a long-term artistic conversation between these this group of performers and designers and together we've we create um work that really investigates uh what it is to be human how complex and beautiful and um wonderful it is and and each work kind of informs the next work we make they're all in conversation with each other um and the last the last work we made was a work called song for a weary throat which was a work about um the state of the aftermath what happens post a disaster and how a community recovers or doesn't recover or um how they traverse that time post disaster and um post trauma and how to get up from loss and heartbreak and failure and it was a work about that um which was a a big work yeah and such a beautiful poetics in the title song for a weary throat yeah where did the inspiration come for that uh so it's actually from a from um a a poet called Polly Murray and she wrote hope is a song in a weary throat and I really love that And, and so that's where um the title came from i can just sort of feel myself melt a little when i hear that <laughs> mm. i like that idea that you know that sometimes when we're at our lowest we don't you know we can find hope we don't doesn't have to look energetic or optimistic or positive it can be really small and beautiful yeah, I think a lot of the philosophy I read talks often about the magnificence of the ordinary mm. and that often those small daily steps that we don't necessarily uh, value are, tr- are the true value of of our resilience. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, I think what I discovered, what we discovered together making that work is, you know, like it's not a linear, emotions don't flow in a linear way when you're in recovery, you know, you're you can be in a state of deep despair and then find yourself hysterically laughing and then move into kind of a place of gentle hope. And and I think that work really moved between those states. Um, and I know, I know that I've had an experience where I've been at a funeral and sobbing one moment and then laughing, you know, with such joy in the next moment and, and how those emotions can sit together. And release each other, really, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I find that really helpful when I'm thinking, you know, it's not a linear thing, recovery in any shape or form. No. 
you know, in some ways that work perhaps has been influenced by your interactions with the work around the uh, disaster management sector that you've been developing through Refuge. Uh, We haven't talked about Refuge on this program before. Would you like to introduce that project? It's it's a partnership that we've had with um, Arts House over a number of years now, but can you tell us a little bit about how you came to it and how you perceive that project? Sure. Um, Refuge is it's a five year project, which um, and it was conceived by Anne Harrod Wynne Jones, who was at the time the artistic director of Arts House, and it's a project that brings together artists and emergency services, scientists, academics, community members to explore climate related disasters, and it does so um, each year. Each of the five years, it's imagined into a different climate. A related disaster. So the first year was a flood. Uh, the second year we, was a heat wave. The third year was a pandemic, which feels very interesting now to have yeah. imagined into that scenario and then be living into that scenario. Um, then we looked at displacement and this is its final year and we're looking um, at a confluence of multiple climate crises, which also feels so poignant given that we, you know, we are in, you know, there's been the bushfires and pandemic rolling and cascading into one another. Um, and I think that's uh, it's such a um, deeply untapped conversation. Really, we've talked about it before. You know, this idea of being prepared for for multiple and longitudinal impact is something that our systems haven't really articulated particularly well to date. So, you know, we're in a real learning curve around that now. Uh, uh, not only in Australia, but in in the world around how do we how do we create some balance about managing it such a diverse range of ways oh absolutely and how do you prepare and recover at the same time Mm. you know and um in an articulated way rather than an assumed way absolutely so i think it's um it's a really interesting year this year all the artists were getting together and we were talking about um the year that we did the pandemic and we were laughing because we couldn't imagine it even our imagined version of the pandemic wasn't as extreme as we found ourselves in. And so we even hit the limits. We thought our, we were kind of being quite bold with our imaginative offer in that time and it was quite kind of uh, understated compared to what we've actually, what we are and have been living through. So um, mm. that was interesting. But I think, I think one of the um, beautiful things about the project is it really is... Um, a space where nobody's the expert. So everyone's the expert in their various areas, but together we are kind of all trying to navigate and work um, something out together. And it's been quite a a beautiful process for, um, you know, I, I really hadn't had a conversation with anyone who worked in emergency services before this project. And, um, and now I, I feel like I understand that in a really different way. And the way that the project runs is at the um, beginning of each year we have a lab and in that lab the artists um, listen to um, scientists, academics, emergency services experience and then we also share um, the artistic process so it's very much an exchange where we're listening and asking questions of each other and from that lab we take away some of those ideas and um, conceive of projects or ideas Um, from that place so it's a real um, it's one of those projects where the sector's coming together to create something that couldn't exist before or independently and it's a really interesting project yeah and an exciting place to have some experimentation where you don't have to 
uh, resolve or in, um, create positive outcome necessarily. You can fail and learn and, and share in a really um, safe environment. Yeah, and there's some really um, important parts of the uh, philosophies behind the Refuge Project. Um, you know, First Nations wisdom is really important and valued. Um, we talk a lot about um, being in the unknown and playing in the dark together. We look at um, what do we need to build in ourselves and each other. And um, and the, and the, it's kind of got this deep knowledge that the survival of each individual is bound up in our collective ability to survive and thrive and um, there's another artist, Lorna, who who is deeply involved in the project, and she she talks about conversation as the art form, and um, so it's very the artists who are involved in the project all have really different disciplines and ways of working, and it's um and it's a really interesting mix of thinkers and makers. So your first project, which I really loved. Kate and I often talk about was the Cubby House project. Can you tell us a little bit about who you worked with with that and, and how you kind of evolved the idea around the importance of building cubbies? Sure, sure. I love that project too. Mm. Um, so that the first year, that, that was my very first project for the Refuge um, project and um, that year we were um, turning... Arts House, who hosts this project, into a relief centre because Arts House is actually one of the designated relief centres um, for North Melbourne. And um, and in the lab, uh, I just listened a lot to... Uh, to I've never be, I'd never been to a relief centre and I listened a lot um, to people who were talking about those relief centres and um, there were some things that struck me. One um, was this statement that um, currently in a disaster animals are better catered for and planned for than children in relief centres. So that really stuck with me. Um, also something you said, uh, Scotia, I don't know if you remember, but you talked about them being very noisy places. How do you deal with the noise in relief centres? And that really stuck with me. As well as this kind of idea of, you know, I've, I've always been interested in, you know, hope and how do you maintain hope um, and then there was another thing that I thought about that came out of that lab was, you know, children need to feel and know that they're safe, but also, um, you know, what is the role of young people in a disaster? And so those were kind of things that sat in my brain from that lab. And so I conceived of this project and um, and how it worked is there was a big central cubby, a very, very large space, which was all made out of paper and cardboard. And in that space um, hosted, um, it was a space to kind of be calm and relax and there were, it was beautifully, you could come and sit and get comfortable. And in it there were three listening stations and in those stations were music for a disaster. And I interviewed three different groups of people and asked them what kind of music they'd like to have access to in a disaster. So there's a one uh, set of a playlist composed by eight to 12-year-old scouts, actually, they were the Kensington Scouts, and their playlist is fantastic. So, you know, they didn't want soothing, calming music. They wanted inspiring. They had the theme from Tinkerbell. They had Indiana Jones in their playlist. They wanted to kind of feel like heroes, and that was a lot of their music was that. Then I also interviewed um, some teenagers and um, so had their, their music, um, which was different again, and then some adults. So, um, yeah, music that people would like to have access to 
in, a, in times of disaster. And also Red Cross hosted workshops in that space and we had a harpist play as well. Um, I think something about the environment was the the sign of the um, and handmade processes and the idea of a place that would hold you, that it's not a room but it was soft and it was well, it, it was a kind of a place you could be held by. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there were weaving workshops in there. So you could cut, it was really a space, like a, like a breakout respite space, really, in mm. this, um, in this very chaotic space. But the other part of the project, which I really loved, was that, so there was this big central cubby, but then there was an invitation to anyone, young people took it up, but actually lots of people took it up, different ages, and it was, became a kind of multi-aged activity. You um, could build your own cubby anywhere in the centre. And we had uh, um, some materials. We had blankets and string and cardboard and uh, tape, so nothing very elaborate. And you could come and get some materials and build a cubby. But the, the difference was it wasn't just building a cubby. You had to register your cubby. You had to give your cubby a name. There was a big cubby registration board. Um, so you had to register your cubby, give it a name, say where it was, and then you were invited to also create a post box for your cubby. And then um, there was an, another post box at the central station and people were invited to send notes of hope or encouragement to each other's cubbies and they were delivered by the scouts. And so you had this beautiful thing where there was cubbies being set up everywhere and letters being exchanged between cubbies, people asking to borrow things, cubby villages. And, um, and then when people moved on, they came and said, oh, my cubby's now empty and there's an invite to someone to take it over. Or make it their own. Make it their own. Or you could decommission your cubby, which meant the materials came back into the central pool. So throughout mm. the, the project, that relief centre ran for, um, you know, 24 hours. But this, this particular activity was open for 12. And um, the cubby, the way the space kept evolving and changing and people occupying different spaces. And it also just brought this fantastic energy because... It was beautiful. Where there was this real sense of drive and purpose. And I, I think, to me, if we're thinking about trying to philosophize any of this the, the fact that people could have ownership over their space which is not the reality of a refuge center generally you're kind of pretty confined to a fairly um, structured uh, and organized space but the, the fact that you could take a little corner and make it your own and actually give it your own sense of identity and care and kind of commitment was pretty beautiful it was gorgeous and the names that people came up with and the you know the the encouragement that they sent to each other and 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 relationships happened so so you know there would be a child here and a child there and they'd kind of come up around the same time and I'd invite them to make a cubby together and suddenly you had you know new friendships formed and relationships made and um I, I thought it would I didn't I wasn't didn't expect it would um have such an incredible take-up that adults wanted to do it as well and, you know, there were... <laughs> but again, you know, maybe it's that, it is that sense of sharing and hope and, and key... Um, yeah, I think one thing that is always noted in um, post-disaster is this sense of your control being taken away by the orders and the demands and the, just the destruction that you're facing with to have some small part of your world that you can hang on to and have some control over and that is yours is really uh, important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in a way, this, these cubbies create, that you created were such an epitome of that. 
Yeah, and they they also were a source of delight. People loved, mm. you know, like if you didn't want to make one, you also you had all these little installations popping up and people busily working away. And really the materials were just blankets and string and tape and cardboard. It, they were not elaborate um, materials at all. Mm. I think one of the um, key processes with the refuge project has been the building of those relationships and part of the interest in setting up the program from the beginning was looking at you know where does influence lie in influencing how artists work within the space and understanding of disaster management or but also the other way around how can we as artists influence these organizations that are are generally operating in a pretty uh, historic and structural way. And one one relationship you, you have evolved over these last few years is with Red Cross. Can you tell us a little bit about what your exchange has been with them and how that came to be? Yeah, it's been a really lovely... Also, I think that's the benefit of a long-term project is that that relationship has grown really slowly and um, carefully and, and is a deep... Um, deep relationship now and it's you know it really started with Red Cross running uh, they ran their ready plan so Red Cross run a run a, a preparedness workshop called their ready plan workshop and the first um, year they ran it in the main cubby and what happened in that exchange was they were planning to run their their standard ready plan workshop but because the environment was so different they adapted their workshop for the environment it was much more became much more um one-on-one conversations and um and very fluid and what also happened at that time is they became like curators for the art space they were introducing each other um, people to the art they're saying oh after you've spoken to me you should go and listen to this music track and so they were they became hosts for the cubby and that was not something that planned was was planned that just kind of evolved and was this beautiful thing where they were interacting with my artwork and my and I was interacting with their workshops and it was forming this new new relationship and that just happened so that was where it started and um then I I started to think about preparedness a a bit more and what that looked like and what that could mean and I worked with what one of the next projects I did was with um the students at St Joseph's Flexible Learning Centre which is a school for disadvantaged and disenfranchised young people teenagers secondary school it is and uh the young people who who acts who access that school really they live uh, many of them live in a state of um disaster permanently you know that there's a lot going on in their lives and they really are have a lot to say and a lot to offer on this on this um in terms of you know uh how to prepare and recover and, and live through disaster well, resilience, resilience That's yeah. what, oh. they're extraordinary young people um in extraordinary circumstances and so i did a project with them where we took um the red cross um, ready plan, which is a document which kind of says, you know, to be prepared here, um, here's some practical things you need to think of, your documents, you know, food, water, etc, etc. And I said, yeah, this is great. But what about if we made an emotional, uh, so you need your practical grab and go bag, but what would an emotional grab and go bag look like? What would that look like so that you could be emotionally prepared or emotionally supported? And so we did, um, I worked with them over two terms and we created together 
this idea of a of an emotional preparedness kit and we looked at objects and we looked at environment again we looked at sound and music we looked at what qualities they had inside themselves that they could um draw on sense of humor you know sense of hope we um created kind of banners with words of encouragement so it was a it's a beautiful project and um and then we used the kind of template of the red cross ready plan document and we created a, a, an alternative version and it, you know a um something to go with it that was an emotional version emotional grab and go bag version and then um the following year uh, which was last year red cross and i actually co-ran a ready plan workshop as part of Ref- refuge where um, they delivered their version of the ready plan and then i added kind of this other version um and we're going to continue that project um and look at developing and designing that preparedness workshop that um takes in that is is um is inclusive and diverse and takes in a whole lot of other ways of of being in in the world so that's that's a project that's ongoing and a relationship with red cross that's kind of really deep deep and embedded now yeah and i think it's worth reiterating again that you know these 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 kind of exchanges take time and it's such a privilege to have that time because not often we don't get an opportunity to sit in relationship with our partners just to be able to unpack and to be able to think through and test and trial uh, ways of collaborating across different knowledges and and absolutely you know red cross are, are coming from a very particular framework and um and needed to trust that whatever was going to complement or sit next to it was not going to take away um, their really important messaging that Red Cross is doing around preparedness. So, mm. um, you know, building up that trust and understanding that that it's a complement, not a not a change or a mixed messaging, um, is important when they that work of preparedness is so important and vital. Mm. And I think t- something about your work in Refuge that, that again has been of interest for me is this role of the voice of children and young people. We often are trying to advocate and look at ways of how we bring alternative and diverse voices into kind of uh, the broader framework of disaster management. And I think the place of children and young people has always been very hidden and there's a number of projects that we've highlighted through this podcast and other work um, around how uh, they have so much to offer actually in preparedness and recovery and response and recovery and that their their uh, contribution needs to be equally valued and uh, in and there's many things that they bring into this space which we we don't get access to uh, in general practice so would you like to make any comment about that I think um, you know yeah. there was something about the poetics of the voice of children that came through your work particularly but you know it's had its influence now right into a key structural organization in in the disaster management field absolutely I mean I, I think that young people are brilliant and I think um, that they have a different experience and take on the world and that uh, that wisdom is really important for um, for us to listen to and hear. And I, I think, you know, I, I have... I come from the place that we need as much diversity of thinking or experience um, because that collective wisdom just makes... Um, 
makes us make better decisions when we're we're hearing from as many different experiences as possible and to and young people have a really great voice i think my experience of working with young people is they often ask the best questions that make me think about things in a way that i haven't thought about them and um and and because their questions are so great it means that we work together to try and kind of find answers or navigate the questions you know and i think i've been thinking about um that Norwegian Prime Minister who ran a session for young people to ask her questions during the pandemic. And I think, yes, it's they get to hear from the Prime Minister, but also the Prime Minister gets to hear um, some really the questions or what what is it most concerned for that group of people um, and that's of real use. And, you know, definitely during the Cubby Project, just... um, Rather than seeing children as something to be managed, they they were a huge resource in that ref, um, in that relief centre. That was well, they they led they led so many things actually, and just in an energetic sense, let alone practical and reflective processes. Yeah. Uh, you know, they really held that space, didn't they? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think it's a mistake to think them think of young people and children as people to be managed, but they're definitely resources with um, incredible offerings into this space. And uh, how would you imagine? You know, how could we imagine that if uh, evacuation centres into the future were uh, led by children and young people, what a different space they would be for everyone? Absolutely, because young people understand the need to host, how you welcome people, what a space feels like. You know, all of those things. Um, yeah, they're brilliant. Mm. What it needs to, what they can perhaps articulate more clearly what it need, what they need to feel safe in. Often in a, an adult, we kind of shut, shut those things down. Yeah, and I think I mean my experience is is because young people don't aren't stuck in going. We've always done it this way, so this is the way we do it. Because mm. they they they've often got more um, responsive to that that moment. Uh, that they can really respond in a without the kind of baggage of that's what we do when we're here in this state. Um, and I think that's a real of real use. So did this phase of work, that you're working through Refuge, I know you've done multiple different projects, but how did this deepen your understanding of how uh, the arts or creatives could bring value to other sectors, you know, that we often talk about people coming to the arts and, you know, community arts, cultural development work is all about how we go and meet and be part part of active citizenship in our communities. How How is this... Uh, experience for you kind of brought in your idea of, of how that mm. is possible or what contribution can we make? One thing I, I really started to understand about uh, my my artistic practice and art and perhaps more broadly about artists is that my comfort and appetite or um, ability to sit in the unknown and actually see that as a very... Uh, creative and, f- um, and fertile space and um, and so I think when working in this in this space where there's so many unknowns all the time um, this something about having an, a, a comfort with the unknown 
is a real a capacity asset. to be fluid, a capacity and fluid and flexible and um, responsive is a real asset in this area. So I, I, that's something that I've been uh, I've been thinking about, and also just um, the creative problem problem solving brain can perhaps take, which is one of the things I really love about the refuge structure, where you have this lab where you hear the kind of things that you know either emergency services or people or academics are grappling with and perhaps put through a different kind of brain with a different training um just our ability to kind of come at it at another way you know so the problem is what do you do with the noise in a relief center what do you do with the with the um children who don't have much to do and and our brain can kind of find a way to go well that's a great problem what, how do we solve it you know mm. and um, yeah, it's kind of like saying the power of curiosity is one of the greatest strengths we could bring, isn't it? Like yeah. how do we how do we approach something with curiosity rather than dread? Yes, curiosity rather than dread. How do we listen and listen really carefully and deeply and what do we pay attention to? And I think those are the kind of things that as an artist you're always uh, looking at your quality of attention, your quality of listening, your curiosity is really key and um, and a sense of, um, growing something from nothing you know we do that all the time and so there's a kind of uh, feeling that that's that's okay and a comfort with that hmm. one of the uh, drives of the refuge project amongst many was to you know open up to the disaster management sector the idea of participatory engagement with artists and you know often our uh, challenges is to bring you know to get people to meet us and not see arts or creativity as a kind of peripheral thing that occurs at certain times and kind of gets whistled up when needed and in a very sort of decorative sense how would you what would you you know you've had some really direct exchanges with people within emergency and disaster management how would you propose that we are uh, invite someone in or sort of begin a relationship with someone who hasn't had an experience with the arts but um you know because that's one of the bridges that creative recovery is trying to do to say well you know we we're here and we've got so much to offer these are the kind of processes that we can engage with you but how would how would you suggest that people go about inviting people into that unknown space because often people who work in quite structured organizational systems uh don't see the potential absolutely i think i I think i think um it's about you know it's like any relationship you have to build that and you have to build trust and i think i think perhaps the um because there's so many structures in place and protocols and systems sometimes i think it's um it's that they can't see how something that doesn't have systems and protocol is going to fit into that or not destroy or undermine that and so it's a case of really deep communication and listening i think you know to kind of go what you know we want to support and uh, work together not distract or make it more complex for you which i think is kind of perhaps a little fear that sits there mm. um mm. and and I, I think you know it's it's about a slow careful process it's about explaining um that knowledge and listening to kind of go we we really want to hear what is important to you and help with that not yeah not not create something that's going to cause more 
difficulty in a time where there's a lot of resources that are being stretched and pulled in various ways. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, like I, I, I think it was really great at the end of the very first refu refuge when we did our our evaluation day and, you know, that it was just such an uh, the five artists who worked on that very initial one, was, you know, we were kind of in our evaluation going, oh, you know, did this dramaturgy of the experience work? Did the, you know, how did it go from beginning to end? And what was the, you know, was that, did it work? And we were all kind of questioning it. And um, uh, someone from the uh, emergency services, Victoria, just said, this was an amazing success. We got 700 people through the door engaging in a way that we've been trying to engage with people all the time. You know, they did, they, we just had such different um, take on... Different what, expectations. On, yeah. on what success looked like. And we had a, um, then we had this big laugh where everyone laughed and we kind of realised that... Um, yeah, that, that what success looked like was different for each other, but then also what um, what we found together by trusting and, um, you know, the, the people that we've worked with in Refuge, their appetite for trying something new, for um, giving it a go has been amazing. And, and because of their generosity to play with us, we've also been generous to play with them and there's just been this re reciprocity Um and, and we both realise that we're, there's a deep respect for each other and the work that we do, and I think that's really important. Oh. Oh. I just wanted to start on a, um, a similar but different topic that, that we've been exploring uh, in these podcasts, this kind of concept of community of recovery, because in some ways it's a little bit grappled in, in refuge, but certainly out in the field is a commonly used term uh, and unpacked in multiple different ways by different services but you work a lot in community practice Kate through your uh, performance work and refuge and a range of other projects what what's your sort of take on what that means to be community-led yeah I'm not I'm not 100% sure what that means in terms of kind of this area but in terms of community-led artistic practice you know for me um it's coming back to that idea that every individual has something really has something to offer and that a collective of experiences and voices uh the more diverse and um the better because uh there's a collective wisdom that comes and that that if you create space for um people to bring their own ideas and find a kind of a collaborative way of approaching something it's going to be so much stronger than someone telling you what to do and so much richer and so much more diverse and inclusive and um, have buy-in so uh, you know that's that's my preferred way of, of, of working is to and so how what is it within your practice or within what you see occurs within culture and the arts that we can offer to enable that i think it's about a it's a value system so you know um so for me if i t talk about how we work in raucous where we've got 15 diverse voices it takes time so it's understanding that 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 process takes time it's about finding how it's about robust conversation it's about robust listening it's about setting up things that are inclusive and flexible enough to meet multiple needs and approaches so whether that's um you know 
so for in raucous our creative process has lots of different ways of entering to um to to accommodate the lot the lots of different ways that people access information or move through the world and um and then there's this kind of process that happens where we have these robust discussions and go, okay, so perhaps we're not trying to find something that everybody completely agrees on, but we're trying to find something that everyone can live with. And um, and in that kind of finding that moment um, and finding things that we hadn't thought of and someone pointing out something there, we come up with something that's better than just if one individual had tried to think through a problem. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a pretty amazing statement. You know, we, we're not going to, what did you say? We're not going to find something that everyone will agree with, but that's something that we can all live with. Yeah. It's, it's a real compromise. It's a really important, um, yeah, it's a really great way of, of finding uh, something. And, and then we kind of stick it until everyone can live with it, you know. Mm. And Yeah, and the creative process gives you a safe container to be able to unpack that. Uh, till you find the point of livability, I suppose. And I, I think we also are really, we really um, are interested in the voice, the dissenting voice. So if there's one person that doesn't, that can't live with it, that's not seen as a blocker. That's seen as like, what is the information or wisdom or what is something that that person's seeing that we can't see? Or what is the fear that is holding them back from being able to live with it? Or there's some there's some information in that. So it's mm. not about us all trying to kind of um, have the same thought at all. It's kind of really at our core respecting those different opinions and actually really valuing that process of finding of listening. Mm, it's the curiosity again, mm, isn't mm, it? The mm. drive, the curious drive. Because that one dissenting voice might have just that piece that we hadn't that no one else had seen the diamond yeah or be the voice that you go if we can find a way to find something for that person to live with so many people who have that same block will be able to come on board Mm. yeah i think that's so very true often i find if you work to the the uh the focus of one you you feed the focus of many without even realizing absolutely so Mm. every single voice is important Mm. yeah i never do a voting system (laughs) 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 because you know you kind of have winners and losers then yeah 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 so you know always again that uh focus back on time and enabling time and space to work these things through yeah I was wondering if there was anything on a personal note that you'd like to share with us before we finish, a sort of an example of your own uh, life or something that's occurred through your work that has illustrated how culture and the arts have made a kind of powerful impact on people or communities, particularly impacted by disaster, but all perhaps through the other work that you've been doing um, or that you've heard about. You look, look, I'm, I, I keep thinking about my those um, incredible young people I worked with at St Joseph's and um, you know when I started working with those young people many of them didn't um, feel like they had much to contribute and yet um, they had such powerful experiences of being resilient and kind of working through really tough things and to watch them move from kind of this place of going, I don't know what I've got to offer, to really realising that they were the experts in this field and that um, I was coming to them 
for their insights and expertise and then watching them just be so proud of the artwork that they made and stand by that um, artwork and invite people to come and talk to their artwork. It was a really, really extraordinary journey to see how that that could happen. That's... Um you know, that's such a strong point, that idea that we are the voice of the expert. And I think when um, disaster management talk about community-led or listening to community, it's such it's one thing to say you are the experts, another to give the power into that. And I think, um, yeah, what a beautiful example. Yeah, and I don't and, think they could see themselves. They don't At the beginning of the project, they did not see themselves as expert. And then by the end, they kind of realised... I, I saw those students really realise that they had things to offer well let's um work to ensure that becomes the true driver of what we call community-led disaster management yeah that would be a beautiful thing beautiful thing (laughs) (laughs) thank you kate it's been such a great honor to talk with you and i'm really personally privileged to see you and your work and i look forward to engaging with you more uh over the years ahead and uh certainly through the creative recovery network Thanks so much, Scotia. It's been great to have the conversation with you and also, um, you know, the relationship that we've had over these last five years. Thanks for joining me for Creative Responders in Conversation and a special thanks to Kate for such an insightful discussion. We'll include links in the show notes if you'd like to learn more about Refuge at Arts House. And you can also find other resources and transcripts for all of our episodes on our website. If you're interested in hearing more about the role of young people in disaster management, you might like to go back to episode one of our documentary series. For that story, we spent some time at Strathewan Primary School in Victoria to hear from their Year 6 students, Principal Jane Hayward and Lisa O'Brien from the Arthurs Creek Strathewan Fire Brigade about the award-winning bushfire education program they developed following the Black Saturday bushfires. We also hear from Dr Louise Phillips and Professor Lisa Gibbs about some of the research and concepts around the importance of fostering leadership, agency and self-determination among young people facing disaster or trauma. We're currently working on more stories for Season 2 of the documentary series and can't wait to share those with you a bit later in the year. In the meantime, we'll keep bringing you more of these one-on-one conversations each month. If you know of a creative responder you think we should speak to, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at comms at creativerecovery.net.au or connect with the Creative Recovery Network on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and send us a message. This podcast is produced by me, Skosha Monkovich, and my Creative Recovery Network colleague, Jill Robson. Our sound engineer is Tiffany Dimack, and original music is composed by Mikey Squire. Special thanks to Jessa Callahan and the team at Audiocraft. The Creative Recovery Network is assisted by the Australian Government through the Arts Council, its arts and funding advisory body. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.